0: Well, good morning, everyone. You doing okay? Well, the second part of the Christmas story today, we had the first part last week, and today is the second part, and uh, I've been really excited preparing this, and uh, this story today is about two women who are central to the arrival of good news that would literally change the whole world, and so what we're going to do today is kind of unpack the story a little bit and look at the characters in the story that made This part of the Christmas story happen. So these two women, one is Mary, um, the mother of Jesus, and the other is Elizabeth, uh, the mother of John the Baptist. So before we get into the story, we're just going to look at a few little highlights first of these two characters. So a few little things to kick us off. So number one, what we see in this story is a tremendous sense of value. Now. Mary and Elizabeth were in um, that ancient Jewish culture that was male-dominated, and this is around between 2 and 4 BC. And we know that because, do you remember, King Herod was very much a part of the story in Matthew chapter 2. And so Jesus, we know, was born before Herod died. And it's estimated, New Testament scholars estimate somewhere between 2 and 4 BC is when Herod died. So this is the period in history when it is, when this takes place. And so we're in this culture, this Jewish male-dominated culture, and yet these two women take center stage in the story. not submerged into the background. They're not minor characters, but the Bible brings them fully drawn um, as two women carrying the Christmas story forward. And it's typical, isn't it? Well, you remember when Paul teaches the Galatian church and he says in Galatians 3, 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And I love how we see these women honoured and their value in the story, even in a culture that didn't value them. And so it's not surprising that even the events around Jesus' birth honour these women. And I want you to know this morning that you are greatly valued by the Lord. He greatly values you. There are different cultural Um, you know, qualifications for things. But in the kingdom culture, in Jesus' culture, you are of great value. Every person sitting here and watching online, you have significance in his sight. Just like these women could have been pushed to the background, but they are brought center stage. And I want you to understand in the Christmas story, your value too. And secondly, some things around their pregnancy. Now, both these women, neither of them should have been pregnant. So Elizabeth couldn't have children, and she was old, and Mary was a virgin. So we've got two women central in this story, neither of whom should be pregnant. Secondly, they both stayed secluded during the early part of their pregnancy. So when Elizabeth became pregnant, she stays like secluded for five months and Mary for three months. And we know this because after Gabriel's visit, it says Mary hurries to get her stuff ready. And next slide, please. Hurries to the town in the Judean hills to visit Elizabeth and stayed for three months. Meaning the first three months of her pregnancy, she was out of her village of Nazareth. So both these women, it's amazing how, with Mary staying there three months and Elizabeth already six months pregnant, that during this time they have some privacy to perhaps process what is happening as two women together. I think that's really precious. And the other thing is that they were both saved from disgrace. Now, in that early culture, if you couldn't have children, um, because people didn't have like, the medical knowledge we have today, people thought that if you couldn't have children, there was something wrong with you, done something bad. And so Elizabeth had gone all these years into her old age, of everyone in the village just wondering what it was she'd done to be childless. And yet when she gets pregnant with John the Baptist, in Luke 1.25, she says, the Lord has done this for me and shown his favor and removed my disgrace from the people. And so her disgrace was removed. It's astonishing. Um, And then Mary as well, she was set up for disgrace with Gabriel coming to her in that culture and she agreed to go ahead. Um, It's amazing how God removed her disgrace too. If we look at Matthew chapter one, it says this, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And so God intervenes to protect these women. And what I love is that their culture would disgrace them. But God came in they became pregnant for different reasons. Uh, One was pregnant, but an old lady. One was pregnant outside of marriage as a virgin. And that, that would have been disgrace. But instead, God came and rescued them from that. Doesn't he do that with us? Doesn't he rescue us from our own disgrace, that we just come to him and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me, help me, come to me. And he does that for us too. And it's amazing that in the middle of such an important event, that God comes with his care and protection. Can you see he doesn't just use these women for his purposes, but he protects them too. He cares for them and protects them. And God cares about your life. Can you see in the midst of this like amazing, the nativity story, what care there is? God cares for you and the details in your life. Nothing is too big or too small for him. And then number three, they both experience a miracle these two women, they are central to this world-changing event, and they both experience the miraculous in their life. But that miraculous came with also a tender hand of God on the lives of these women in the middle of the most important, significant event for mankind, that John the Baptist would be born to prepare the way for Jesus, and that Jesus would bring salvation. And I just think it's phenomenal for us to see these world-changing, world-shattering events, and yet the care and compassion of God to Mary and to Elizabeth. It gives us courage too. He is with you, and he is for you. So number four, they were ready. Now, they didn't know it, but they were poised, ready for their destiny. Mary, it says, was favored by God when Gabriel came to see her. And Elizabeth was considered righteous and blameless in following the commandments. Now note, neither were sinless. They were ordinary women, but they were devoted to God in the detail of their lives. What I love about this story, you can see they didn't become you know, ardent followers of God when they were given a job to do, but they were already following God in the details of their lives. And they were poised, ready for God to just sweep them into a destiny that would change the world. And this is a lesson for us, really. Are we ready Are we waiting for a task or are we ready now? Are we getting ourselves ready? Our character, our day-to-day choices, behind the scenes, faithfully devoted to the Lord, that we are ready to be used. And so these two women, as we go into the story, we can see they're not submerged into the back cloth, but they stand central and real in this story. They are favored, they receive the miraculous, and they're women of character and destiny. And don't those two often go hand in hand? The character made way for their destiny. And so we're going to look a little bit now at the story of Mary Elizabeth and the meeting. So last week, we looked at Mary's encounter with Gabriel, and Julian brought us that. And today, we're going back six months. This is like previously in the Christmas story. And we're going back to Gabriel visiting Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband. Now, in Luke 1, it tells us that in the time of Herod, Zechariah the priest, it was his turn to be at the temple. And he had a wife called Elizabeth, who is a descendant of Aaron, who's the brother of Moses. And in Luke 1, 6 and 7, it says this about them as a couple. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So they were in a good place. They were both childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. And so Luke 1.13, it tells us that Zechariah went in to do his duties in the temple. Gabriel appears to him, brings him this phenomenal prophecy about John's birth. And he says, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Elizabeth will bear a son and call him John. And note that Gabriel says to him, I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you. Isn't that amazing to think of Gabriel stood in the presence of God and then sent to have a chat with Zechariah? Isn't that astonishing what God will do? It's amazing. And he brings this awesome prophetic message about John's destiny. Now, listen to this. If you were pregnant with a child and somebody brought this prophetic word, you'd be like, whoa, full on. So this is the prophecy in Luke chapter one, verses 14 to 17. This is what it says about the coming John the Baptist. "'He will be a joy and delight to you, "'and many will rejoice because of his birth, "'for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. "'He is never to take wine or other fermented drink,' and there's so much in it. Look at what he says. This baby you're going to have, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will bring many back to God. He will go in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, to a Jewish man, that was like the top. Can it get any better than this? My son will go in the spirit and power of Elijah. But I want to note just two little things out of this amazing prophecy. And the first one is this, and you could almost miss it, in the middle of this like incredible prophecy about John, it says this, he will be a joy and delight to you. Can you see the personal there? God is coming personally. And in the middle of this huge destiny, he says, this little baby, this boy, is going to be a joy to you in your home. He will be a joy and delight to you. And God is concerned about our homes. He wants there to be joy and delight and harmony in our homes. He is concerned about that. It's not just the big picture and we go home and close the front door and we're abandoned, but God wants to come into the very heart of our home and bring joy into our home as we submit our lives to him and let his peace and his joy fill us. He is concerned about the joy in our homes. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And the second thing to note is this. This is very interesting. It says, John will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. That's incredible, isn't it? That from conception, this little baby will be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. It's really interesting. You imagine now that Elizabeth, she's pregnant, she's going to get pregnant with John, and that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. This very similar, it reminded me of when the angel of the Lord came to Manoah's wife in Judges 13. Do you remember about the birth of Samson? And he equally had an amazing prophecy about not taking drink, about being a Nazarite. Uh, you'll be, become pregnant with a son. He'd be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. And although Samson was dedicated from the womb, just like John the Baptist, when he was born, he needed those occasions when the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon him for a task, but here, John the Baptist, also going to be a deliverer, as in uh, preparing the way for Jesus to come, um, he it will be filled with the Holy Spirit from conception in the womb. This is incredible. And um, it's also interesting that John died young at the hands of his enemies, and so did Samson, they both fulfilled an amazing task, but their lives were both taken as young men too. So it's very similar prophecy, but the difference here is that John will be filled from, with the Holy Spirit from the womb. So going back to the story now, Zechariah fulfills his time at the temple and he goes home to Elizabeth and Elizabeth becomes pregnant and remains secluded for five months. And this is when she says, the Lord has done, look at what the Lord has done for me, shown his favor and remove my disgrace. And then it moves on a little bit to six months later. So Elizabeth is now six months pregnant and Gabriel once again comes from the presence of God down to speak to someone and this time the message is to Mary. And you remember Julian explored this with us last week of the message to Mary. And Gabriel says to Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive, give birth to a son. You're to call him Jesus. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you He talks about Jesus' destiny as the son of God who will reign forever in a kingdom that will never end. And this is just amazing. And again, at the end of this amazing word that Gabriel brings to Mary, he adds something personal at the end again. And this is what he adds. I love this. He says to her, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. And can you see here how Gabriel gives this amazing message about the destiny of Jesus, but he adds this little personal touch at the end that her relative Elizabeth now is, 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 has conceived and is pregnant even now in her sixth month. Now, why does he do this? Is it to encourage Mary's faith, This unusual thing that will happen to Mary has just happened to Elizabeth, but through her husband. Is it an assurance? Because he says, for no word from God will ever fail. Is it saying, look, this word is true. It's happened for Elizabeth. It's gonna happen to you, but by the Holy Spirit. But also, I think it's something like this. It was a place to go. It was like a hint. It was like a nod. He doesn't say go to Elizabeth, but it's like a big hint here your relative Elizabeth, she is in the same boat right now. And I think it was like a place to go, a solidarity, two women who could understand each other in a unique, never happened before situation. One carrying the preparation for Jesus, one carrying Jesus himself. And in this like crazy thing that was happening to them the miracle and the destiny maybe they would find companionship in that destiny together that they would have a unique understanding of one another while the neighbors are whispering and wondering what's going on that these two women could come together and say me too me too me too i've got what god has done in their heart now mary responds to gabriel and says i'm the lord's servant may your word to me be fulfilled and straight away gets ready, and goes to Elizabeth straight away. So we can see that 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 hint from Gabriel, she takes that hint and immediately goes and spends three months with Elizabeth. And I think that was very important for those two women to have that care and support together. And notice here this last word of Gabriel's words to Mary, for no word from God will ever fail. I want you to just take that in for a moment for yourself. I'm sure God has spoken many promises to you. We only need to open the Bible and see everything that he says to us. But he says to you today, no word from God will ever fail. He is faithful to you, his word will never fail. And just like Mary was overshadowed and gave birth to Jesus, just like Elizabeth, who was barren in her old age, became pregnant, no word from God will ever fail over your life either. Okay, so we're going to have a little look now at the meeting, when these two women meet for the first time. Okay, and this is in Luke chapter 1, and from verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. I find it interesting. She prophesies over Mary. Blessed is she who has believed the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Because that's her as well. Have you ever found that? That as you're prophesying over somebody, there's a word for you too. And they are both women who have trusted and believed in God and seen his promises fulfilled. So let's unpack this meeting a little bit. Now, it's dramatic, isn't it? This is a dramatic meeting because when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaps in the womb. And when it leaps in the womb, she tells Mary after and says, look, Mary, as the sound of your greeting, I just heard your voice. You were just close enough to the house. And as I heard the greeting, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now, this is, a, this is an interesting thing because we've got to remember here that John was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. So John is an unborn baby of six months filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happens is when Mary comes near with God as Jesus, as a fetus, unborn in her, inside her, John the Baptist in the power of the Spirit leaps with joy in Mary's womb. It's astonishing that these two unborn are like meeting or responding in the Spirit to one another. It really is incredible. Now Jesus at this time is so tiny in Mary's womb because she's just met with Gabriel, spent some time packing, done the journey to Elizabeth. So that baby is so small. And he is God. He is God inside of Mary. And Elizabeth carrying John the Baptist, filled with the Spirit. He responds to the presence of the Lord. It's really astonishing and special. Now the thing that really gets me in studying this story, I've been so moved in studying this, is that Jesus would surrender himself to the care of man that he would surrender himself so small and vulnerable as a cell, as a fetus, as an unborn child. He surrendered himself so small and vulnerable to the hand of a woman that Mary would take care of him and grow him and give birth to him. And part of Jesus' sacrifice to us and in coming to the world was to render himself so small and vulnerable as a tiny fetus. Now, as we know, God is all-powerful, all-present, and all-knowing, omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent, and yet Jesus chose to be in one place at one time. He chose to lay that aside, that he would come to us present, not omnipresent, in one place, in Mary, and the Bible teaches us that he laid aside his divine privileges as God in order to be born into the human race. Now, this is an astonishing thing, that Jesus would do this for us. And in Philippians 2, 5, you'll be familiar with this verse. It says this, your attitude, that's you and I, we should be as sacrificial as Jesus. Your attitude should be the kind that was shown to us by Jesus Christ, who though he was God, did not demand and cling to his rights as God, but laid aside his mighty power and glory taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And he humbled himself even further, going so far as to actually die a criminal's death on the cross. And I just was blown away again, looking at this story and thinking about Christmas, that yes, we focus on the cross and Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, but it all started with an earlier sacrifice of making himself almighty God, vulnerable, the word. So let's look at this a little bit. Now, it's important to realize that Jesus didn't lay aside his deity. He was still God when he came to the world. But Jesus, being deity, clothed himself with humanity. He took the form of a servant, although he was Lord of all. And that's why it says he doesn't cling to his rights as God, but he laid them down to become a servant. And so Christ, being fully God in nature, he was not revealed to everyone. You know, when he grew up and in his ministry, although he was fully God and fully man, some people, especially those who opposed him, didn't recognize that. And to others, it was revealed by the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth here is revealed to her by the Holy Spirit. Can you see that she starts to prophesy? Now, Mary isn't visibly pregnant, but it's revealed to her by the Holy Spirit that she's in the presence of her Lord. It's it's amazing. And of course, remember when Peter writes of the deity of Christ saying, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And this is what Elizabeth is revealed to Elizabeth, but she can't even see him. It's really astonishing. And John writes about Jesus, how the word of life brought the world into being. And yet he walked among us as a man. Isn't that amazing that he would do that? In 1 John 1.1, John writes this, that which was from the beginning, who is the word of life, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have touched, this is the word of life. Isn't that astonishing? What existed from the beginning, which we have heard, imagine being the disciples, that we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and touched with our own hands, this is the word of life. And the word of life came into the world vulnerable, trusted to a human being, to Mary and John to Elizabeth. Now, for Jesus to come to us as a man, it meant he could speak our language, show us what God is like, reveal his power, God's love, to teach the kingdom, and of course, ultimately, to lead a sinless life. He was not born of man, but of the Spirit, so he was born sinless. He lived a sinless life in the power of the Holy Spirit so that he could die in our place. And only a sinless sacrifice could pay the price for you and I for all the things we've done wrong, and so conquer death. So we can boldly come to the Father because of what Jesus has done. But when Jesus died on the cross, he died for everything we have ever done because he was the sinless sacrifice. And so... As Mary and Elizabeth meet in this meeting, we see this like divine spark or this divine response. And also we see how vulnerable and fragile this situation is, trusted to the women who trusted God. It is astonishing, isn't it? And I think when we think of Christmas and we see on a nativity calendar or on a, or on a card, little, little baby Jesus, to know what is so astonishing about him coming as a man for us, fully God, fully man. And so in this meeting, we see the six-month unborn fetus of John respond in the Holy Spirit uh, to his Lord and Elizabeth um, to prophesy as well. It's just really incredible. And I think that here behind closed doors, there are two pregnant women. This is before Bethlehem. This is before choirs of angels. This is before wise men arriving with expensive gifts. This is before being chased away, before Herod and the soldiers come, before all the drama, before all the public scene. This is just two women, two pregnant women, meeting together. And what is inside them, responding in the spirit to the adventure that's about to happen. And what joy they must have had for three minutes, those two. I mean, I wonder if this was not the first time. This was the first time, but how many times after this, there was a leaping in the womb. And so here we have these kind of cousins and the unborn babies who will change the world in a very special and unique encounter. And it's going to change all things. What I like about this, it's a private meeting. It's behind closed doors. It's full of potential, full of the Holy Spirit and prophetic And often that's where God wants to meet with us. It's great in the together like this. But when they asked Jesus how to pray and and he said to go in your room and close the door and speak to your father who sees you in secret. And sometimes it's behind the closed door where we can just unburden our heart. We can worship him. We can hear from him. We can just submit and surrender our lives to him. He can speak to us prophetically. So let's make sure we never give up on having that private meeting. Who knows what destiny will be stirring behind a closed door. And so here we have two women, one very young and one very old, who said yes to God. And I just feel as we close, this is a picture for us. And the picture is our life, both natural and supernatural, just all wound up together. They're not separate. We can see in this story, these women's lives, they were naturally pregnant and packing a bag and traveling a journey and knocking a door and calling a greeting. But there's also something supernatural, the divine consequence going on inside them. And for you and I, our life is all woven into one. The natural and supernatural is all one life. And I want to encourage us to walk a life in the Spirit, Let us walk that life in the Spirit, listening to him, looking at the world through his eyes, but also walking by the word of God. Do you see how the word of God came for them? And that's what produced life and destiny. We live by the word of God, his instructions to us, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we also walk with a surrendered will. You notice how Mary said, as it's been said, be that unto me. We surrender our will. Let us walk with a surrendered will in the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, and that is our natural and supernatural, all wound up in our daily walk with Him. And I just want to end with a thought about children, because there's something very important in here about children. Now, when I was pregnant with one of our three children, can't remember which, somebody. Uh, brought to my attention a book called The Secret Life of the Unborn Child. And I think since then it's been reworked and photos and there's new science and everything. And this book was all about the unborn child inside of you, what it can hear it, it, it um, responds to the little feet as he responds to um, atmosphere and to uh, love and harmony and voices and music and sounds. And I often wonder, like little babies who've been born in the church here, they spent months and months hearing the worship, hearing the voice of the people leading, and that when they come to get dedicated, how familiar might that voice be that they have been listening to for nine months? And uh, so the little baby inside, they can respond And children have a huge capacity to respond to God, uh, not just in the womb, but when they're born and when they're in our homes. And that sense of there being joy and delight in the home. uh, For us as parents, let's make sure that we never underestimate our influence in bringing that spiritual harmony to our children. It's not just the practical things. So the practical things are important, like having daily reading notes appropriate to their age, playing worship in the home, in the car, having Bible stories, having their own Bible, reading them together. But it's more than that. It's our lifestyle, our values, our choices, what we talk about. So when we're talking about something in the Bible, we're praying, it's the same as that. Our values are the same as that. And our values and uh, living out those daily choices. And so our everyday adventures with our children, that is what helps them walk all the way through their life to follow Jesus. In Deuteronomy 6, it says this 6 to 9. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. So for us as parents to carry it in our hearts and with our children in our lives. It says, impress them on your children talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road when you lie down and when you get up tie them as symbols on your hand and bind them on your foreheads write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates Now, it doesn't literally mean you've got to stick scripture verses all over your house but it's talking about living it out with your children but I wanted to especially mention this when we go through lockdown periods, which we often do, or you know the children are off school because someone in the class has COVID and you're online, I just want to encourage you, don't be tempted to switch it off too soon. Don't be tempted to skip the meeting or switch it off just before the Word. Um, But make sure the children have got a little snack and some coloring and something ready in the room. Don't be tempted to switch it off. Let the Word of God wash over them. Let them be in the room. Don't switch it off for later. Let's face it, does later ever come? Are you ever going to sit down and go, Oh, it's 8 o'clock, I can't wait to listen to so-and-so's sermon tonight. You know, does that later ever come? But with our children let it wash over them let the word let the worship wash over them however small they are and i want to finish with this story our eldest daughter rachel she lives in london and she works for the government and she just has such she is on fire with her faith and she shares it with um everybody and anybody and she is relentless now what happened with rachel is this she's trying to survive to the end of the meeting And this very elderly gentleman, and they were all quite elderly, this very elderly gentleman got up and preached for an hour. And he preached the gospel, but it was so dry. I, I was cold, I was tired, I just wanted to go home. And it was a very dry, very correct, but very dry talk. Anyway, we went home. Next day, Julian had gone off to some school's work or something, and I was at the kitchen table making a chicken pie. And Rachel was sat behind me, playing with a little bit of pastry at the kitchen table. And uh, as we were chatting, and talking, she said to me, Mommy, can I do what the man said? And I was like, what do you mean, sweetheart? The man, what the man said. What man, darling? You know, the man, when he said about Jesus on the cross, and she started to talk about the sermon from the night before in that meeting. Now, she was barely three, but something spoke to her by the Spirit. So don't switch it off Because something by the Spirit, it's not always about our understanding or how much we can, you know, a child can understand. But sometimes God just reaches by the Spirit. And she asked me, you know, can I ask Jesus in my heart like the man said? And he'll forgive me for the naughty things I've done. She was quite naughty at three. I'm sure she won't mind me saying that. And I was like, yeah, I'm sure he'll forgive you. (laughs) I need to as well. (laughs) No, I'm just joking, Rachel, just joking. Um, So I, I, I didn't know if this, was this too soon? This is my first experience because she's only three and we've done children's work for years and years, but I haven't seen a child so young. So I sat down, and I talked to her and I said, you have to be really serious about this, Rachel. It's not just what the man said, but if you want to give your life to Jesus, it means all your life and being really sorry for things you've done wrong. She said, I know the man said. I said, well, let's pray. And she said, no, I, I, I pray on my own. Uh, this, is, this is between me and God. I was like, okay. So anyway, she went into the lounge and, uh, you know, three rods rule the roost. So she went into the lounge. But I, I, um, I crept through and I looked through the crack in the door and I watched her. And that little girl, she stood there with her hands pressed together and she said, Jesus, I'm sorry for my naughty things. Come in my life. I follow you forever. Amen. And that day she gave her life to Jesus because of an elderly man being faithful to the text. Don't switch it off. Let it wash over your children. Bring them up in the fear and the joy of the Lord because he loves them and cares for them. So to close, Mary and Elizabeth, here they are women of destiny, women who said yes to God, just going step by step, letting their destiny unfold. And as we look through this incredible story, I want you to see God's care for you, He cares for you. He loves you. The details of your life, the joy in your home, the personal touch, the protection. In the midst of world-changing destiny, he is there for you. And his promise from Luke 1.26 will prove true. No word from God will ever fail. So let us see in this Christmas story, God's wonderful and incredible love for us and the ultimate sacrifice that he came as a man to be born, to die on the cross for us. For God, nothing would stop him reaching us. Nothing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. You, You've given us this year as a year to love and it's been a crazy year and we are learning to love each other but we want to love each other like you. That Lord, you, you came into the world You made yourself vulnerable, that you could rescue us, the rescuer. I thank you, Lord, that you have great love for every person here and every person watching online here. We ask, Lord, that you release the power of your Holy Spirit, that we can walk this life in the power of your Spirit, walking by your word with a surrendered will, but in the power of your Spirit, that you'll help us in every aspect of our lives. And Lord, as we go into this Christmas season, I pray, Lord, to help us not to be distracted by the limitations out there and all the regulations, but actually you are a God who loves us and you paid the ultimate price that we may have relationship with you. And I ask, Lord, you'll fill us again with your spirit that we live in that relationship with you in all fullness, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.